0: Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Backmarkers F1 show, Bring it to you live from Ottawa, Canada, snowy and cold Ottawa, Canada, here in November. And man, we're really excited to bring you this podcast, our 75th episode in...
1: In in Canada, it's drifting season, actually. Drifting season, yes, it is.
0: (laughs) If you have a rear-wheel drive car, you are having some fun this season. Or just
1: really good with your (laughs) e-brake.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what the thing is, though, is with... Can you do it with electronic e brakes? No. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I can do it with my car, though. It oh, you can? Like, it's not an electronic e brake. Oh, nice. I have, actually
0: have the manual. See, it just, uh, we just upgraded to the Honda family. Yeah. And it's you know it's a 2019 car, and so you it's got the electronic. Little, you yeah. A little
1: switch. Yeah, I hate that. Not yeah. a fan. I don't know. I'm very old school with cars. Like, I hate Same. I hate push to start buttons. Yeah. It's, I, it's I not know. as fun. I don't like I don't. It's not that it's not as fun. It's honestly, it's a stupid reason. I just don't want to put my keep my keys in my pocket that's the fob yeah that's literally well also because like i have a lot of work keys so it's literally bunches up so i just don't want to keep them in my pocket it's just a really stupid reason but that's that's literally it that's why
0: (laughs) i'm kind of the same way though i like the the older old school cars you know just there's so much electronics in in modern cars that's a little bit too much and you just kind of like the raw mechanical car
1: it's so true like i'm slowly growing on paddle shift like it just takes a little getting used to. I'm just I. It's the fact that I have to take the clutch out of the equation. That's just what gets me. Yeah. But yeah. Otherwise, I don't mind it. I'm getting better with it. So. Does your car have it? No, my dad's car does. So oh, gotcha. mine's just a manual. Yeah. Stick shift. I don't think I'm ever gonna drive anything different. I don't think so either. Yeah, <laughs> automatics are too boring. Yeah, it's true. And I, I actually, it's funny that you mentioned watch. I mentioned that I watched a video of Daniel Ricardo reviewing, uh, racing or car movies. Oh, yeah, on GQ, right? On GQ, yeah. And one of them, the thing was, I think they were talking about a movie, and he's like, ah, that's just, ah, oh, they do overdo that. He's like, I don't know, I didn't grow up in that generation, but he's talking about the generation of obviously having, you know, the clutch and the manual uh, transmission and everything. So he's like, I think it's just over-exaggerated. He's like, no one's ever going to go that hard.
0: <laughs> no, it's not. It's, they're always exaggerated, and it, there's hard to get racing... Right in movies. Yeah. Uh, Rush did a pretty good job
1: of that. Rush though. did do the a pretty, pretty good job of that. Um, uh, and I was surprised why they didn't do that, but also understood why they didn't. Because obviously, Nikki Lauda passing away in the last year and everything is so probably why they didn't add that to one of the movies. But yeah, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, my favorite one was the one where you just talked about Fast and Furious though, because I love it for the exact same reason. <laughs> because you know it's overdone and none of the physics are right. Right.
0: <laughs> the part where like they get slowly off the line. Yeah. It's Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that was a funny video. Um, but, anyways, getting back to the business at hand, in what really could have been actually one of the best races of the decade, and arguably the best race this season, and not including wet races. Correct. Not and
1: including what races?
0: We were having this discussion is, yeah, Germany was a great race, but this was this happened on a dry track.
1: This happened on a dry track, and I was making these points earlier, like, you know, there was a storyline going into this race. You know, Max here for his redemption year after what happened last year, uh, you know, leading the track all weekend, Christian Horner's birthday, a nice little <laughs> birthday gift for him. Uh, so, the, you know, that was kind of like the storyline going into it. And then right off the bat, uh, there was drama involved. Um, I mean, not right off the bat, I guess towards the end, but, it, yeah. you know, good racing throughout the entire race, right at the very beginning. A um, lot of pressure with Hamilton and Max Verstappen, and, you know, Carlos Sainz had an amazing race. Yeah. i sure Gasly had an amazing race. I mean, everybody had a really good race overall, except for, you know, there was four drivers, I guess that didn't... Four? Yeah. Valtteri. Two Ferraris. Two Ferraris. And Lance Stroll, I guess. Yeah, Lance Stroll yeah. was the fourth, so. Otherwise, you know, great racing from everybody.
0: And. It took a little while for things to start popping off. Like the first stint was a little boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it was kind of a, a strategic sort of uh, battle between the teams, but there wasn't too much that was going on. So I was just kind of like, because Brazil always gives really good races. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that in the last couple of years, whether the championship is on the line or not. But I was like, ah, you know, the, it doesn't seem like we're going to get the same kind of classic Interlagos race that we're used to.
1: Well, I was expecting a wet race it was like, like raining, it raining all weekend pretty much i guess not all weekend but you know bits here and there so i was expecting a wet race um but then i also remembered you know back to the austrian grand prix where mercedes you know really suffered w- with the uh change in altitude throughout the track uh overheating issues because they were falling too closely and i guess you know they kind of experienced similar issues in this race so, you know, thinking back to that, it was a very exciting race because they kind of had the same difficulties and led to a similar situation, I guess, you know, with Max end, ending up winning at the very end, so... Yeah, both were
0: great, and we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts in terms of what which race do you think was better? Was it Brazil, Austria, Germany, or any other one uh, on, on the calendar? But I think this one was definitely the most unexpected race yeah. probably in the past, I don't know, maybe six six to ten
1: years or so? Yeah, like, it was... The results came out of nowhere, you know, like <laughs> yeah,
0: to say the least,
1: uh, but I think we were just saying right before we went on, this is the first time in a few years, uh you know two other teams other than you know that that are not the top three constructor teams, first time they've gotten podium in a few years that other than one team has got it, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this in the right words, but
0: basically like. More than four teams got a podium this year. Got a this podium year. this yeah. year, yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's the easier way to explain it because it was Force India last year and now Toro Rosso back in Germany, you know, Toro Rosso again. And, you know, congratulations to Carlos Sainz for getting his first ever podium as well. Yeah, very well done. And I feel like his celebration probably meant a little bit more to him because he got his entire team up there. I'm sure, like it wasn't in front of a whole- thousands of fans, but I feel like you know, as your own personal podium at the end of the day. It's kind of a nice feeling.
0: I think that was unique, and, and that doesn't really happen too often. And I, it was disappointing that they couldn't get the decision across in time. And we'll discuss all the incidents and everything as we get into it. But it, it was a shame that they couldn't get him up there in time to spray the champagne with Max yeah. and Pierre. But. He wouldn't have been able to get the team up there. And having even Lando Norris up there, all the engineers, yeah. all the staff and the team, they've worked so hard in the last couple of years. They've had so many rough times. I mean, McLaren's first podium in over 2,000 days. So I think it was even more special to be able to get the entire team on the podium because normally you don't get to do that.
1: I think, you know, it would have made it even better if they had stuck with the Honda engine this year. <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> can somebody check in on Fernando Alonso? Is he, is he doing he, is okay? He,
1: yeah, say, is he all right? Like, is he, <laughs> is he breathing into a paper bag over the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Debating if he should have left at all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> two Honda-powered engines, a 1-2 Honda, and then a McLaren on the podium.
1: And that's twice this year that two Honda engines have made it on the podium, and two you know two different teams with back in Germany as well. Uh, almost would have been three... Honda powered engines, if you know, could have been, should have been.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, so so I thought it was great. Uh, seeing science up there on the podium, and uh, this episode we're gonna be jumping around a lot. There oh, was yeah. just so many incidents and everything that happened, and you know we obviously got our opinions on each one, and I'm sure you do as well. But just just overall, the race in Brazil was really exciting to watch, and even the finish just right at the end with Hamilton and Gasly. We've only gotten a couple of those in F1 history where it just comes down to the line, and we remember Lance Stroll and Valtteri Bottas in Baku a couple years ago. Well,
1: when was the last time you saw a drag race to the for a podium finish?
0: Yeah, that was really the last one with yeah. uh, when Bottas passed Stroll in yeah. uh, in Baku. But other than that, it doesn't happen often. Yeah,
1: like it's it's very rare. And you know, the fact that you saw a Honda engine beating Mercedes at the very end, was <laughs> yeah, kind what of, the hell? You know, I bet all the Honda Honda, Honda fans are just you know, breath the edge of their seats watching that happen. And I, I know I was for sure. Um, but yeah, very exciting race right to the very end.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I, I definitely loved it. After like lap thirty. It it was great.
1: Yeah, the middle part was kind of slow. Are you even watching the highlights? I think they jumped from like lap twenty two to lap fifty three or some or fifty one or something like that because it was not very exciting. Just a lot of uh, yeah tire changes and you know pit stops and stuff here and there. But yeah, nothing very exciting in the w- middle part.
0: It was okay. I mean, again, the, the issue was is that they didn't show us too much in the midfield battle. For like sure. they didn't show much of signs coming back from P twenty. Which is,
1: <laughs> I saw a tweet from somebody the other day that's like, you know, of course they're not going to show Carlos signs. I know, right? <laughs> the one race he gets a podium.
0: And, it's, and, you know, again, getting to Carlos Sainz, we didn't even mention from P20 how, how bad it looked on Saturday for him not being able to get out for qualifying. And for him to go from 20th, even if he would have gotten to fourth, it would have been an amazing drive. You know, P3.
1: There's only one other driver that did that this year, and that was Sebastian Vettel. This compares, and that he did that on a wet race, right? Do it in Brazil on a dry circuit where you know everybody kind of has the same, uh, no external circumstances into play, and to do that all on your own, you know, good for him. He can compare himself. Not really, but, you know, he can somewhat compare himself to a world champion.
0: We get it. Yeah. <laughs> Potential future world champion. And he had great overtakes. I think it was the one on Stroll going into turn one, which mm-hmm. was probably one of the best of the race. That was, that was amazing. So, again, a shame that we didn't get to see that part. But we had other incidents in the middle of the race, Ricardo and Magnuson. Um, I think that's pretty obvious in that one that it was Daniel Ricciardo's fault. My initial reaction when I just saw it live was, oh, there's Magnuson again, closing yeah. the door. No,
1: I thought the exact same thing, and then I saw the replay, I'm like, yo.
0: Yeah, so hey. I apologize to Kevin Magnuson. I was a little bit uh, <laughs> prejudiced
1: Can't against him. Can't go out him. like
0: that, Danny. <laughs> yeah, he locked up, he was a little bit too ambitious and he knocked Magnuson out, really messed up his race. Um, Ricciardo somehow was able to recover for P6, which is pretty good, but it really screwed up Kevin Magnuson's race in the end, so That penalty, not a surprise there. And that penalty kind of relates to the other incident that we were talking about before um, that we'll get into. So I'm just trying to sort of remember chronologically of where things started to really pop off. But if I can go maybe just to the battle between Lewis and Max, and we hadn't seen this for actually quite a few races, probably since Hungary, really, that we've gotten to see this battle. And they were exchanging pit stops. and, And at one point, you know, Hamilton was ahead of Verstappen. And then Max did a great job to overtake him twice.
1: For sure. I mean, one was just an amazing, you know, safety car start. Yeah. Uh, It's like, you don't see that very often, but he was ready for it. Kept an eye on him the entire time. But yeah, no, absolutely. Some two great overtakes for Max to make it happen. Um, Yeah. And we haven't, we saw them. I was thinking about this earlier, but we saw, you know, Charles Leclerc a lot of the time when he was leading a race, his only real competition was like Lewis Hamill, you know, like one of the other driver. But we never saw some really close wheel-to-wheel racing in those type of races where a Ferrari was winning or, uh, you know, one of the Ferrari drivers was winning or somebody else was winning. Where I find whenever Max is in the lease, it's always interesting to see a Lewis and Max battle happen. You're you're expecting it happening uh, to happen in the race. And like you said, we saw it last time in Hungary. We saw it in Monaco. Um. yeah, there were multiple, multiple times this year where Max has been very close to a win or, you know, has gotten the win in a tight racing throughout the entire race. So.
0: I, I think this was one of his better victories because he controlled the pace the entire weekend. For sure. And we talk about the race, obviously, but he got pole position, converted the pole position, which is huge for, for Red Bull as a team. And as well for Max, it was his technically his third career pole but officially only a second, obviously, when Mexico was taken away. But it was one of his most complete races, the way he was able to manage the pace. And even when he got behind, Hamilton wasn't stressed out too much. He had the faster car all weekend. For sure. And 100% in control. And it it all comes down to Red Bull providing Verstappen with the car to be able to challenge the likes of Mercedes or if it's Ferrari next year, who knows. But I, I really think that Max has all the tools to win world championships right now. And Brazil is a good, good race before that. We've seen it in Germany, obviously. But I just yeah. think, for me, this win was even more impressive just because he controlled everything in a calm manner. Strategy was on point from Red Bull. They did great excellent strategy win. calls.
1: Was, you know, it was a great individual win for Max, but also a great team win. Um, and, you know, if Alex Albon did convert and get the podium finish, it would have been the best finish they would have had in a very long time.
0: Yeah, it, it looked like uh, a Red Bull 1-2 yeah.
1: um,
0: for, for a few laps uh, until the accident happened. so... I think Verstappen, one of his most impressive victories for sure, and he had some really really good moves. I think it was on Hamilton in turn one, uh, the one that you were talking about before, uh, the safety car restart as well. Very intelligently that was done. Our turn
1: eight, possibly was it turn eight?
0: Yeah, well, he backed everybody up quite yeah. quite far and then just just took off and controlled it. But uh, yeah, qualifying lap two, man, if you remember back to Q three on his first run, he like went wide and was on the grass, and yet he still went two tenths faster than anybody. So. He had amazing pace all throughout the year or all throughout the uh, the weekend. And this is a good track for Red Bull. We saw it last year. And, and like you mentioned off the top of the show, Verstappen gets his revenge from 12 months ago in for Brazil.
1: Sure. You know, last year, and you think back to 2016 with the wet race, and he that was probably one of the best, another race that's going to define his career and probably one of the best races he's had. And I think he, he loves Brazil. He loves coming here and he does, he does really well whenever he does. So it was exciting to see him, you know, Continue his form in Brazil and not drop down to what we would expect to be like, you know, P four, P five. Not a great, uh, not a great uh, finish for him there.
0: Yeah, it's been a tough couple of races for for Red Bull and Max. Uh, They've taken a lot of penalties earlier after the summer break, and you know, like you said, P four finishes P five. Obviously, accidents in, in Japan and then the whole debacle in Mexico. So. He's been there to to get podiums or to get wins, and then certain things just kind of get in his way. So it was nice to see him back at the front and, sure. and battling with Lewis.
1: And I think, uh, Lewis said it best, you know, he was asked, he's like, is what, well, is there something you could have done to make you closer to Max? And he's like, we did everything, you know, we threw everything that we could at Red Bull this entire weekend and we just didn't have the pace for it. No. They just had, they just had the perfect setup for this, for this race, you know, and, and he's right. They, they, everything was set up perfectly to both the drivers, not just Max Verstappen, you know, cause Alex Albon on his own had a fantastic race as well. Um, you know, I was, I was at the safety car restart, I was expecting to fall to, uh, fall to P4 or P5, but just great overtake on Vettel and to continue it in the next uh, uh, turn into, I think it was turn 10, uh, into turn 10 and just continue it through the entire race. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, Albon did really well, and I, I thought he was going to be really deserving of the podium, and I was when he was defending against uh, the-, the drivers behind him with Lewis and then also the overtake on Vettel, I was like, well, I can't wait to talk about Albon and saying that you know maybe I was a little bit wrong in saying that Red Bull should go for a more experienced driver next year because I said that I think a couple of uh, episodes ago, but I was really impressed with the way he was able to finally handle himself against the big boys. Yeah, we haven't seen that too often.
1: And yeah, I think I was about to say this is one of the very first times where we see in Red Bull the two Red Bull teammates, two, two Red Bull teammates finish a race and they could have ended so close to each other, but. Alex Albon did a really good job holding up back the holding back the Ferraris in his end, you know, to keep them away from Lewis Hamilton, and Max, and just leave Max to deal with uh, Lewis and only worry about that part of the race. You know, and yeah. not worry about anything else. So I think that was really well done. Um, and like you said, great strategy call for uh, from Red Bull this weekend, and a great gesture for them to put uh, the person that called the tire change yeah. onto the podium. You know,
0: yeah, it was it was a brilliant call because. Mercedes were going to do opposite, obviously, but it turns out that had they not come in, it might not have ended the same no, way exactly. for, for Red Bull. So it was a really quick split decision, but it was the right decision to go to. Yes, they gave up track position, but like we saw in Hungary with with Hamilton and Mercedes pitting for fresher tires, in the end, it was a good enough sacrifice to sacrifice that first place yeah. in track position, and it worked out for them. So. Um, i think red Bull learned from from that decision so excellent strategy call also the pit stop too they 10. set a new 8 world 8 record eight seconds 1.82 yeah yeah crazy a brilliant pit stop
1: three or three or four times this year that they've won the pit stop
0: yeah i think like they had a, another one which is like 1.91 and then this one which is 1.82 so man i don't know how quick how much quicker they can go i mean can we get to 1.5? I don't know. I don't know.
1: They've, I think they started at 2.11 at one point at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I think you, you're you right. I think you 1.92 and now 1.85, 82, sorry you said. so. Yeah, yeah they nailed
0: it. And I thought that uh, when when Williams released Kibitza, I thought that Max was going to go and punch Kibitza <laughs> after the race. <laughs> he's, like, he's so close. He's like, two oh, fucking times. <laughs> yeah, two years in a row. <laughs> Coming at him with that left hook. <laughs> That's like, I don't know why Williams had to release him at that point. It was, you know, that that was an unsafe release. So, not well, surprised yeah, he got a especially penalty. Especially if,
1: you know, you're in 20th place. Like, yeah, why, that's the race leader. Like, why ruin the race for the race yeah. leader, you know? Like, you're going to get 20th place at the end. Like, that's, I guess he did, not he ended up coming P- P15, but. Yeah,
0: it's not a large pit lane either, so.
1: Uh, it's just, yeah, I, yeah. It's funny, because I actually walked away at that point, and I come back and I see that replay. I'm like, are you <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What? Are
0: you kidding me again?" <laughs> Esteban, is that you?
1: <laughs> At first second, I thought it was a, I thought it was a racing point car. I'm like, guys, you can't do this twice. Uh, yeah, are <laughs> you
0: serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that didn't work. Didn't end up worse uh, than it did. Um, so we were talking about the second Red Bull car with Albon, and he was on for a podium. His first podium in F1, and also would have been the first podium for a second Red Bull car this season. Yep, Um, Verstappen's been the only one that's been able to get podiums or wins this year for Red Bull, and it looked really good for him. Like I said, at one point, it was a Honda 1-2-3, Red Bull 1-2-3, and then uh, an old six-time world champion came torpedoing in, in, and was it turn eight, turn nine, I think it was? Turn nine,
1: yeah, and you know what? I do have to give it to Lewis because... Even before he went in for his, uh, went to go meet the stewards, as soon as he finished the race, he's like, oh, it was my fault. He's like, yeah, he did say my bad. He knew it was his fault. And he even said in his interview, I think he's like, I was a torpedo this week. Like it was, it was, it was for sure my fault. So you know, that's that's something that comes from being a six-time world champion. You know, you know when you make your mi- mistake, and he explained himself. You know, I saw the space, and then I went for it, and as soon as I got there, I it closed up way too quick, and I know it was my fault. So n- there's not a lot of the drivers that would admit to their mistake right away. You know, so so are you gonna call out your friend on his opinion on this incident? <laughs> I won't <laughs> get into it. <laughs> but the main story is me and my buddy went back and forth because he said it wasn't Lewis Hamilton's fault, and I said it was, uh, and he was just like his his explanation was was that Alex Albon opened up the space and then he closed it right away, and I my in my defense I said Alex Albon never gave him the space in the first place. And he, even if he did, there was no sudden jerk to the right to close off the space. He followed the racing line all the way through, uh, with Lewis Hamilton behind him. So Lewis Hamilton, you know, he, Albon was allowed to fo- uh, fo- uh, follow that racing line. Cause yeah. you know, he didn't have to give him the space. Um, and I, uh, we were talking about this earlier. I compared it to the Max Verstappen and Charlotte Clarence, where you compared it to the Daniel Ricardo and, um. Magnuson. Magnuson incident, but and I know the, my comparison is the same, but I just want to explain why they gave Hamilton a penalty and why they didn't in that situation. In Austria, Max and Charles Leclerc were both level going into that corner. I don't know I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not even <laughs> going to explain where it was um, going to the corner, and obviously, you know, Charles Leclerc went for the turn. Max was in the same exact position in the inside. Uh, following the racing line in, and uh, he took Charles Leclerc off the track. Didn't ruin his entire race. You know, Charles Leclerc still finished in second place, was able to continue, uh, where, you know, in Lewis Hamilton and Alex Albon's situation, Lewis Hamilton was almost, I want to say like half a car length behind, not like a full, full car Yeah, length. just maybe, about, I think. Maybe even less than half a car length, but, you know, he, Alex Albon was following his racing line, and like I said, didn't have to give him the right of weight, you know, to get into that position to try and sneak through. And you can see there's a space, but it's not a clear space to take over. And in the end, Lewis Hamilton ended up ruining Alex Albon's race, dropping from a podium, you know, what would have been a for sure podium finish if Lewis Hamilton did take him over to you know p14 and i think alban you said in his interview said that you know if it didn't happen there it would have happened in two to three turns or something like that so yeah in the end Albon would have still happened you know gotten a podium finish hamilton would have still gotten a podium finish ruined Albon's race completely and and that's why i believe it was a penalty
0: so yeah i would agree um clearly your friend is wrong um (laughs) <laughs> but it's you have to look at it, and we had this debate. I think a few races back in Singapore when we disagreed on the Reichen and Kvyat incident. Yeah, and I brought about that you have to take in the fact the the corner characteristics in this case. And when I, I see your comparison to Austria, I think all these are a little bit different. It is for even. sure a
1: different turn, you know, yeah, different I get what situation. You're saying, though, yeah.
0: yeah, because they were like you said on an even playing field. It wasn't. Daniel Ricardo Styles, you know, sending it late yeah. and going in there. But when you look at that nature of the corner in Brazil, at that point, Alex is already committed to breaking and he's already turning in. Yeah. And Lewis, obviously, he made a mistake. He should have known that that door was going to be closed very quickly. And that's a difficult spot to overtake. Sure. And he also locked up the inside right front. So he was a little bit out of control. And then it was inevitable that he was going to hit Alex Albon. And like Alex was saying, if he would have waited, he could have caught him on the back straight. For sure. Would have yeah. had DRS, I believe. I think it was enabled at that point. So it was a clear mistake by Hamilton. And the reason why you penalize that versus let's say you don't penalize Leclerc verstappen is like you said, Alex was spun around and it ruined his race versus Leclerc, who still had an opportunity to overtake going into the next corner. So I, I think that's the difference here. And when you look at Magnus and Ricardo, the same thing too. It's a, it's a racing incident. It's not sure. malicious, it's not on purpose. But when you knock a guy out of the race like that and and essentially ruin his race or damage his car, you got to give the penalty. So I think Lewis deserved the penalty in that case.
1: And, you know, on that, you know, there was that Lance Stroll and Vettel incident from a few races ago where, you know, I think it was Vettel that ruined Lance Stroll's race or Pierre Gasly's race. Was it Pierre Gasly and Vettel? I can't remember now. I can't
0: remember. So many races.
1: Don't worry about it then. I'm not going to get into it because I don't remember. <laughs>
0: Bottom line is, <laughs> uh, I, I do. I, I agree with you, and I think that Hamilton deserved the penalty. And, you know, it, it was just ambitious. It, it, that's a difficult place to overtake. And that's like that when you go into these hairpin situations. If you're not side-by-side going into the breaking zone where you're committing to turning in, those accidents are going to happen because that's just the nature of the corner.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I guess before we get talking about the main point, I want to do want to give a shout out to my boy Valtteri Botas. Oh, really? <laughs> because he thing- did not, you know, if he would have still had a good finishing position if his car just didn't shit out, but it, also not because he didn't really do some great overtakes. But on the other hand, Charles Leclerc had some great defending against Valtteri Botas as well. Yeah. So I do like, I'm, I want to give a shout out to that point of racing because. Um, I'm sure if he had, if he stood a little further back, you would have had a little bit more space, but we know this is a Mercedes issue. They're not, they can't follow so closely behind the car. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Very unfortunate.
0: I was going to give a shout out to him for bringing out that safety car. That's really, <laughs> right. That's, that's really what popped everything off. It was like Vettel in Russia and now yeah. Bottas returned the favor here, uh, here in Brazil.
1: Well, I feel like I I thought it was in a good position that they didn't have to bring in a virtual safety car.
0: Well, anytime they bring the tractor out, they have to bring in a safety car or or a VSC. But I thought that it would have been enough for him to either reverse the car into that little area where the guardrail was or just to push the car back. That's
1: what I figured as well. And I think that's one of the reasons he was hanging around there because he was like... What the hell? Like I, I purposely took it off track so this yeah. wouldn't happen.
0: No, I, I really think that he couldn't have done much more. I think he no. parked it in the right place, but that's just what the the FIA decided to do, and they they sent out the safety car. I Thank mean,
1: God they did. Yeah, made for a very, you know, very exciting race in the end of it. Um, are we going to get into it now? We're going to wait.
0: There's a lot to get into. Let's, okay. let's just do it right now.
1: Okay. <laughs> it was Vettel's fault. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.
1: No. In, ragazzi. in all honesty, Chris and I talked about it before. It is definitely, you know, you could you could say it's a 50-50 incident. Um, Charles Leclerc didn't give him the space at first, but Vettel also, you know, cut him off at the end, turned a little bit to the left and ruined Charles race, and in the end ruined his as well. But I think the more of the blame goes towards Vettel uh, at the end of it because he did cut Charles Leclerc off. Um, no. Should,
0: should we take a look at the emotional moment? Yes. It got uh, It got a little dramatized for the Ferrari fans out there, so grab your tissues.
1: Just make sure you're holding somebody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here we go. It's my favorite part of this movie.
1: This is where the action happens
0: <laughs> oh, that was good with the hand. I didn't even see that.
1: <laughs> we'll
0: stay
1: I, mean, I didn't even watch the end of that. That battle scene, the battle emotion thing just makes it. And the Oscar goes to. Sebastian Vettel.
0: <laughs> ah, uh, Well, now you now you saw the incident. Um, yeah, so we, we were kind of debating this because I was curious what you thought in terms of who, who was at fault. And my initial reaction was that it was Leclerc's fault because he didn't give enough space because there was enough room for both cars to go side by side. Yeah. But <clears throat> I think looking back on it and looking at some of the different angles that we had, Vettel was the aggressor. And, yeah. and I think that if you had to put... I, I think what I told you as well... That it was 50-50. It was both Ferrari drivers worth to blame. Sure. But if you were to give the instigator penalty in this situation, it would yeah. go on on Sebastian. Because For sure. when you look at it, the stage in the race too, I believe he was on older tires. Leclerc had came in during the safety car period. So he was faster. He should have been faster. Yeah. He should have just let him by anyway. That That's where the Ferrari management needs to come into play. But I think that Vettel was super, super aggressive taking that line, going on to the grass at one point. And really the big problem was this wouldn't have been a big issue, but Vettel had DRS, and I saw somebody that broke this down. Vettel had DRS, so he was going about 10 to 15 kilometers per hour faster. And when they bumped tires, that's why the big impact came, because he hit him, like, mm, yeah, you know, it wasn't top. side to side, it was head on. Yeah. So the force of that just took Leclerc's wheel off, essentially, and then gave Vettel the puncture as well. So
1: Yeah, because it was the back tire that would have hit the front one. Right? Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it was.
0: So he had DRS, which is why the impact was so large. Because we've seen we, uh, drivers touch before, and it's been side-to-side contact with no issues. But yeah. I, I think that's why, why it led to the double DNF. But I think that in that case, Vettel was just too aggressive in that stage of the race. Leclerc was faster and i think some frustration came came through and
1: i think he just got pissed that charles leclerc took him over and he wasn't well, told for that, sure. that he, he wasn't told that it was going to happen
0: yeah and it just unravels for for vettel in that situation right you know calmer heads prevail yeah and we saw a similar accident back when you drove for red bull against mark weber in turkey in 2010 very similar almost kind of uh, picture perfect in You know, the two Ferrari drivers, they've been summoned to Maranello to see the bosses. Uh, They're definitely not happy about it. How big of a problem does Ferrari have in terms of managing the drivers? I mean, honestly, this wasn't... Had it been side-to-side contact, there wouldn't have been any issue. Um, But I think that Mattia Bonato and the whole Ferrari staff are going to really need to sit down over the off-season. Because if they've got the best car next year, this is going to be a problem. (laughs) It's going to be a problem because they're not going to... They're going to be battling for race wins. If they were battling for what? Fourth and fifth at this point? Fourth and fifth, yeah. So both guys are extremely competitive. We saw what Vettel did in Russia. He's not just going to let Leclerc step all over him. So this is going to be a really interesting driver dynamic going for the next couple of years.
1: I just, you know what? I it's something that I would not expect from Vettel. Up until this year, you know, with Kimi Reichen and he just seems so calm. Kind of, you know, they just work so well together as a team. And I, I would not expect it to come out till, you know, like really this year with the whole char. You know, bringing a new young driver like Charles Claire. Yeah. Um, it just feel. I feel like Vettel feel threatened by Charles Leclerc making him the number one driver, which I feel like they shouldn't. They have a very good, two very good drivers that could be fighting for both one and two positions. It doesn't need to be, you know, I'm the number one driver or he's the number one driver. So yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, Benotto is really going to have to sit down and have a talk. as this happened? I think I was saying minimum three times this year, maybe even more, whereas the situation between Charles Leclerc and Vettel has cost Ferrari their race.
0: So. Well, for sure. It cost him a ton of points uh, yeah. in a lot of scenarios.
1: And now, because of it, Max is now in third place. And pretty much sealed it, really. <sighs> I called it. called <laughs> it at the beginning of this year. Max Verstappen is going to get third. Did you? Okay. I did. We'll have to go back on record, folks. Just,
0: I did. Just to make sure.
1: <laughs> I think it was one of my, uh, uh, what do you call it? I think one of the predictions made at the end of this year where I said Max Verstappen is going to pull it from Ferrari and get third place. Okay.
0: Well, (laughs) we're going to look back on them at the end of the season. So um, I I think it's really hard for a team to have two number one drivers, and I think that's what Ferrari has right now. And the reason why the whole Raikkonen partnership works so well because Kimi was a number two. Yeah. And even though in 2018 he showed a lot of fire that he was going to, you know, won a race, got a pole position – and always know that he's number two, but he's not interested in playing all that politics. You know, he's 37, 38 at the time. He just wants to race. Yeah, and no, it's true. you know, he, he wasn't very happy with being screwed by some of the strategies over the years with Ferrari. But at the end of the day, he wasn't going to get into all this political on-track, off-track battle with his teammate. Yeah. But now, Vettel's threatened. Like, I think you described it perfectly because you got this young guy who doesn't care. He's very fast. He's very talented. Yeah. And he works really well with the team. And he's a fan favorite as well. So Vettel's seen five years with Ferrari go by with no world championship. And now he's got to battle the Mercedes and his teammate. It's a big problem for him, right? For sure. And we've seen it when he was with Red Bull. You know, Mark Webber was a very competent, very, very good driver as well. For sure. And we saw how that partnership ended. So I think it's really hard for a team to have two number one drivers. Mercedes showed it in 2014 to 16 with Rosberg and Hamilton. So we're probably going to see similar situations next year unless Benato and Ferrari come up with some sort of an agreement team orders to be able to keep them. But like I said, if they're fighting for the championship next year, I think all that goes out the window
1: for sure. And I think it's really going to, you know, come it's, it's really going to come down to it in the 2021 season when both Vettel and Charles Leclerc are both going to be driving with this brand new car. Right. Um, And the, and they're both going to try and figure out who's who can handle it better.
0: Will Vettel still be in F1? Will he be at a different team? Who knows?
1: Is he only signed on until next year?
0: Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. 2021, he'll make his decision, or in that off-season of 2020. I
1: see a comeback to Red Bull happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the way that's Ferrari funny. does things nowadays, it might not be a bad idea.
1: That's why they have Antonio on the backseat, you know? They, they got him ready.
0: Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens, but uh, yeah, interesting times down uh, down in Italy for Ferrari. Um, last couple of things, and, and we have to talk a, a little bit about Pierre Gasly because you know we have criticized Pierre this season for his struggles with Red Bull, the and obviously racing. we're a little bit harsh on him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> were you trying to say something over there, talking to your driver? <laughs> What was that
0: again, Pierre? Okay. (laughs) Copy that.
1: Good job, Pierre.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our impression of uh, Pierre's engineers.
1: Uh, That was fantastic, because you really felt the emotion in that win. Oh, really? Um, (laughs) Not even, like, obviously in that, you know, screaming, but... Throughout the entire race, you know, I think in the paddock, in, in the paddock, they were saying, you saw the entire Toro Rosso team rise for to congratulate Pierre Gasly as soon as he did get that, um, and you felt it from a lot of the other drivers too, you know, like and the other teams that you know Pierre Gasly, after all the trouble that he's been through with Red Bull this year, getting promoted to Red Bull, then demoted halfway through the season, he raced much better. in the the last half of the season, that Toro Rosso, than he ever did that with that Red Bull.
0: Absolutely. He had
1: more points finishes, I want to say, in that Toro Rosso than he did with Red Bull.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to get the numbers, (laughs) right? Um, I I think he did a phenomenal job here in Brazil. And yeah, like you said, I I loved hearing the team radio. He's been through a lot, obviously, personally, uh, as well as on track and off track. And we always knew he was a talented driver. I think it's just the pressure of Red Bull that's a high. That's a high expectation environment that you're working in. Whereas you're going
1: into a team that's you know based around Max Verstappen, correct? Like it's it's hard to get dropped into a team that you know they're basically preparing for the next ten years of their
0: and of, you know your second season in F one, yeah, right? For sure. So it, it's still very difficult for for him and a lot to handle. And you
1: say that, but Alex Albon's in his first season in F one and he's handling the pressure really well.
0: Correct, but he's also <laughs> had a lot of crashes. <laughs> he yeah, had a lot of mistakes, and he's only been with Red Bull for what is it now six or seven races or so something like that but he's done a really good job with Toro Rosso and I thought it was really awesome to also see the Red Bull his old mechanics for sure you know like when do you ever see a driver from another team getting hugs and and handshakes from another team after scoring on the podium so that was brilliant to see and I I was telling you this I don't think there's an F1 fan out there that wasn't happy for Pierre Gasly or Carlos Sainz in this race And it just shows that we don't need Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes to make this sport exciting.
1: McLaren on a podium. You need wins or races like this, you know, to kind of bring bring your excitement of F1 back up, to see a driver that isn't, you know, a top six or top three driver finishing in the podium and, you know, making it possible for, you know, other teams to kind of step up. You know, Toro Rosso is now fighting with Renault to get that fifth position (laughs) for constructors. When did you like I didn't think that was going to happen at the beginning of this year. No, no one would have thought would have thought of that. No one would have thought McLaren would have gotten a, you know, would have confirmed fourth with a race to go. So it's there's you know the, the beginning of the season wasn't that fantastic and I think after France it's just become one of the most exciting Seasons of F1 we've seen in the last, like, you know, three or four years, maybe even five. so
0: Yeah, I just love how unexpected that it's been after what was the first eight races of the season. And we need more of these midfield teams fighting at the top because they're really good racers. They spend most of their time overtaking anyways because there's so yeah. much action in the midfield. And then all the mechanics, all the engineers, all the people working in the teams, they work so hard. And each weekend they're, you know, happy with P7 and P6 at the most. Maybe the odd P4 or P5 yeah. here and there, but... To be able to get on the podium, spray some champagne, and, and bring a trophy home is so massive for these teams like Toro. So that's a smaller team based in Italy. Obviously, McLaren has had a rich history, but imagine if we got Racing Point in the mix or Alfa Romeo sure. was right there, could have had a podium as well. So 2021, hopefully, we're going to see more of this. And how great would it be to have every race a McLaren's on a podium this weekend, a Renault's on the podium the next weekend? And it doesn't always have to be the top three teams because look, Ferrari scored zero points in this race. Mercedes scored only six points in this race. Yep. Alfa Romeo, they collected like twenty-two points.
1: Toro Rosso, yeah, the same. We didn't even mention that. Good for Alfa Romeo and Giovinazzi getting his first, you know, best ever finish. Sorry. And yeah. Kimi getting his best ever finish since leaving Ferrari.
0: Yeah, for sure. He and he's kept up a streak. I think he's had a P4 or better in every single season of F1.
1: Oh, really? Eh? Which
0: is like crazy because he's done like forty-eight <laughs> years in F1 right yeah. now. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they did really well, especially. Alfa Romeo's pace in the last couple races has been awful. Yeah. So to get fourth and fifth was miraculous, I think, for them. For sure. But there's the other There's the other thing, right? Is we love to see the midfield team celebrate. And we all have our favorites, and we all have drivers that we like to see win, and we all have drivers that necessarily we don't like to see win. But when we see Gasly on the podium, when we see Carlos Sainz on the podium afterwards, we love it. Yeah. It, it was amazing. I don't think that there's a fan out there that wasn't happy for Pierre Gasly or Carlos Sainz.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the same way we felt about Daniel Kvyat winning the German Grand Prix, you know, like to come out of nowhere in a wet race, um, to do these great overtakes against, you know, you know, like a six time now, six time world champion, four time world champion to see it all happen is very exciting. And, you know, kind of brings your spirits back up for F1. And now I'm just honestly really looking forward to 2021 to see what's going to, what's going to be different. Are yeah. we going to have races like this or are we going to, you know, it's going to be the same as Mercedes winning every other race, so.
0: It's great. It was a fantastic race. the The finish at the line, and again, just that emotion and the team radio. You know, we laugh, but it's just it's so amazing to see. That's all he can do is just scream in the radio because he couldn't believe it.
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. Well, I mean, what what else are you going to do? I mean, I'm sure if we had if Carlos Sainz had a confirmed podium, we would have been hearing the same thing from him.
0: Oh, no doubt. No doubt.
1: Um, but yeah, no. We heard some smooth <laughs> operator from him again. Yeah, that's true. Actually, the we smoothest did. <laughs> operation of his life. <laughs>
0: But uh yeah, uh, great great for Pierre Gasly and, and well done to Toro Rosso. Their most successful season ever in F1. Two podiums and like you said, they're 8 points behind Renault for 5th in the constructors.
1: And, you know, that's kind of exciting to look forward to for the last race of the season. You know, they could do it if they have two points finishes and Renault doesn't no Renault doesn't there's a chance that they might not get those points finishes. So, yeah. of course, it's it's, it's very exciting to see what could happen and you know to see Renault fall from what they were fourth last year to sixth place
0: yeah but it not just that but the, the teams that finish ahead of them right um okay McLaren you can understand McLaren's got more money they're a bigger team but at the same time they've struggled a lot in the last couple of years and I don't think I think Renault's put in a lot
1: more money I mean, than they McLaren Lost has. a world-time champion last year and they had somebody win a podium that's racing this third or fourth F one season, right? And they've had you know another person that's in their first season of F one. So
0: yeah, and and like I said, for Toro Rosso, who's the B team of Red Bull out of a small factory in Italy to beat Renault, you know, not just the the F one team, but the whole customer manufacturer. For sure, that that would be massive for a massive loss for Renault, but an excellent gain for Toro Rosso. And like you said, going into the last race, it's not just the points. It's the prize money that comes with where you finish.
1: But it's also a big F you to Renault after last year. So A
0: mass <laughs> double fingers. That's what it is. <laughs> That's why, like, I-, I wonder who wrote that tweet from uh, Renault congratulating McLaren on the yeah. podium. Like, how mu- like that must have really hurt writing that tweet. Because it's oh, awkward.
1: Man. Like, you lose, uh, you lose Red Bull. Then you have you get McLaren back to lose to McLaren in in the constructors a customer yeah yeah and then to have you know somebody you made fun of all last year for going to a Honda engine (laughs) have their B team beat you like that's it's. it's kind of embarrassing like
0: <laughs> do, do you think christian called up cyril
1: oh for sure i think he will after the next race <laughs> i want i want this in the netflix documentary yeah, i, I do want too. to see, i want to see this phone call after this year <laughs> hey cyril <laughs> so how's your uh very expensive driver going yeah
0: you're spending your money now huh? <laughs> hey by the way could you te- teach esteban what the flags mean yeah. too <laughs> Yeah, it's not good, man. It's really not good for them. I know that uh, Franz Toss said that Abu Dhabi necessarily isn't their best track, but Renault struggled so much this season that being able to pull off a, a double points finish and score more than Toro Rosso might be a bit difficult, but it'll be close. So For sure. That's, that's something to watch out for. But yeah, anyways, you know, for, for Toro Rosso, they're obviously changing the name next season to, to Alpha Tori, so... I guess a good way to close the chapter on
1: they're, Toro they, Rosso. They're still going to be the B team, though. Obviously, for yeah. yeah, yeah. Nothing.
0: Yeah, I think there. the only thing that changes is the it's team name. It's just the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Makes sense. Like racing. Like racing point. So. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. What What an excellent day for them. Um, I think that's about it, man. I think I think we covered mostly all all the bits and pieces of the 2019 Brazil Grand Prix. Uh, I give another shout out again to Carlos Sainz. Uh, obviously, we had to wait. A good two to three hours after the race for, for it to be confirmed. We kind of all knew it was going to happen. I wish we would have had the same stewards as there was in Canada. Yeah. Those guys were finger on the trigger pulling that penalty. Right away. So if we would have gotten that, they would have had uh, Carlos Sainz up on the podium.
1: Yeah, actually, I did want to comment on that where I said Lewis Hamilton admitted to his fault right after you know the race ended. I think at that point, they should have been like, okay, well, if he knows it's his fault, why are we still giving him this podium finish? You know.
0: Well, and the problem was is that they were investigating the Ferrari incident. But for me, why don't you just put that incident on Backburger? Because that's yeah. then
1: that's not a deci- You know, a, who cares? Podium deciding decision. You know, yeah. like they're out of the race; they're, it doesn't matter. So
0: exactly. So I'm not sure why they didn't just look at that first. It was fairly obvious to, to me that it was a penalty, and that's what it ended up being. But at any rate, like we said off the top of the show, I think that the podium celebration that McLaren got was was even more special.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So I I really like to see that. Um, but anything else? Uh, do you think we missed anything?
1: Um,
0: oh, the one thing I did want to mention um, this was some of the pre race festivities. Um, obviously, this past year, it was, I uh, believe it was 25 years since yeah, uh, the death Senna. of Ayrton Senna. And I did, I missed a segment on Sky Sports of Martin Brundle driving uh, his MP44.
1: MP4, yeah, I heard about that too. I didn't get to see that either.
0: But his nephew, uh, Bruno Senna. Bruno Senna, yeah. Drove. I'm just trying to find the video because they posted it today. Um, I think I retweeted it here. Uh, we'll show you guys the video, but check it out on F1's channel. They did like a, a driver eye of Senna driving his car. And they also just showed some shots of him driving around the track, which is really cool because he had the exact same helmet as his oh, that's uncle. cool. So it was amazing, you know, just to have. And the fans, too. You, you can see how much Brazil loves Ayr- Ayrton Senna still to this day after all this time. And just to have that same car riding around the track was just incredible.
1: Man, I'd love to see a Brazilian driver on the grid. Yeah, same. Like, because Brazilian fans are crazy for no matter what sport comes to you know comes to their country. So just to have a Brazilian driver on the grid would make it that much better.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Is, does his uh, Does his nephew drive anywhere?
0: He used to drive an F one a couple years ago. Okay, um, but actually, I don't know what he's doing. Well, let me just do a quick search. What he's doing now. Um, so he's currently racing for Rebellion Racing in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Oh, okay, you know. cool, cool. Yeah, so that's very cool. Um, so a, a neat little moment for the Senna family and also all the all the Brazilian fans. But it's just like it's really, I, I thought it was just really cool seeing this exact same helmet, yeah. The exact same car. So I really want to check out the segment that Brundle did with him. Obviously, he was teammates with him uh, many years ago, so that was cool, cool stuff.
1: Um, so I couldn't decide on my driver of the day for this one because I literally had four.
0: <laughs> yeah. I i mean, I have mine. Let me hear yours.
1: But <sighs> I, I just obviously, you know, Max Verstappen, Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz. I know Carlos Sainz definitely deserves driver of the day. But Alex Albon also had a great race. True. And Pierre Gasly got his first ever podium. Then Max just had a great weekend. So, like, it's it's hard to decide, but I think for driver of the day, I think it's going to have to be Carlos Sainz.
0: Agreed. That was like, my driver of the day.
1: Yeah, it's just, there's, like, yeah. If it was driver of the weekend, it would for sure be going to Max Verstappen. But, yep. yeah, driver of the day, I, I'm, I have to say it has to be Carlos Sainz. And all you
0: Dutch fans out there, you guys got some real power. Because anytime like, Max has a decent race, he's driver of the day. Yeah. And you know it's all from Holland. <laughs> I mean, we love Max. We're big Verstappen fans as well. But my vote definitely would go to Carlos Sainz. Oh, it was a close one too. I
1: think it was only like 22% for Max Verstappen to get driver of the day. So you know there was a lot of other drivers that were definitely voted in for that to happen. So.
0: Yeah, I think it could have been any of the four that you mentioned. But you might as well make it science or, P- or Gasly or Albon because yeah, they don't sure. usually get it. Um, we expect all that from Max, right? He started on pole position. We thought he was going to win the race, and that's what he did. Um, but obviously, we didn't expect Gasly or, or the drive from Carlos. Science, so yeah. yeah. But it's a fan thing anyway, and the judge fans are crazy, so <laughs> they get it done every day. <laughs> So I think that'll about do it for us in this recap of the Brazilian Grand Prix. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Let us know your thoughts on the race, uh, all the incidents that we talked about from Hamilton and Albon. Who do you think was at fault? Uh, The two Ferraris. We'd love to hear your uh, opinions on that incident. Also, what
1: are your top three races of this year?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Brazil honestly might shoot up to number one for me.
1: I think in order for me, it has to be Brazil, Germany, and then... um, Austria? Austria, like yeah. one two three, not three two one. I think for me it would be France, Spain. We're and not Azerbaijan. talking about the shittiest world Oh, right? okay, my bad, my bad.
0: <laughs> the not top ten. Yeah. Okay, I'll probably do the same. Yeah, I, I have to go back and maybe watch Germany and Brazil.
1: Also, the three races that back for stop and won this year
0: were the most craziest. <laughs> yeah. So. he's got a thing for making headlines that, you know, <laughs> that young boy does um, so yeah that, that's a good one let us know your your favorite races of the season and the rest of you any thoughts that you got on this race just drop it in the comments below this was I was excited to use this word the penultimate race of the season very British <laughs> now, right you
1: don't get to use it very often no no, no it's a good chance off you uh, uh, good job Thanks. you don't go to work like oh hey bro this is the penultimate yeah. day of the week no <laughs> <laughs> never <laughs> It's
0: a British thing, though I yeah, think, right? I think, I think they so. they do these like weird spin on words, like, "Hey, what's your schedule?"
1: Yeah, schedule. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. Oh,
0: you know what the new one is? Um, instead of harassment, it's harassment.
1: Really, eh? that's a
0: British thing, and it's also like a. I've I've heard it on uh, on news talks or news shows or whatever. Oh, okay, it's like okay. this.
1: Just the okay. Interesting. I think it's just
0: people that like have these degrees that really want to be smart, but they're really not. So
1: it's like aluminium. I can't <laughs> even see it. Say it, aluminium. It's aluminum. aluminum. <laughs> yeah. It's aluminum. Aluminium. I know I can't say it. <laughs> I can't see it. Say it the European way. <laughs> uh where was I anyway? I don't know. Where we're ending. That's right. Yes.
0: That one. <laughs> got it all right well like we said this was the penultimate race of the season so only one more to go 20 of 21 is in the can um obviously we didn't have tyler with us this week uh his work schedule got changed so he was unable to join us for this week uh so next week we'll definitely get in our preview for the abu dhabi grand prix as it is the last race of the year and then we'll have a recap for the abu dhabi grand prix and then that's it in terms of race recaps and race previews Yeah,
1: the only thing we have to look forward to is ford versus ferrari that's right, which I did actually go see over the past oh, weekend. Did you? Yeah, I nice. got, uh,
0: not an advanced screening, but I know we were going to go see it, uh, all three of us, which yeah, we'll yeah. probably still do. Um, but uh, yeah, I would recommend going and seeing it. I've it heard uh,
1: it's, it's supposed to be, you were like very true to the actual storyline. So
0: here, here's what I will say the, the car racing scenes, little inaccurate. Um, oh, really, eh? Yeah, but here's the thing. I think it's, Apparently,
1: I was watching a t- thing today. Those cars broke down multiple times. Oh, so yeah. They're shitboxes. <laughs> yeah. I multiple mean, they're beautiful times. cars, but yeah. it's 60s, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, That was one of the cool things is that they got the classic cars. For sure. And, and raced those. But it's like there's a scene uh, in the middle of the night at one stage of the race where they're driving in the wet. <laughs> and, like, the way he's, like, breaking... First of all, the way that he did this is that they he they made the whole race seem as though he's like pushing one hundred percent throughout the whole twenty four hours, which we know even in an F one race they don't push all the way to the limit. Like yeah. you're trying to save tires, brakes, yeah, et cetera. For sure. And that's like multiplied by a thousand in an endurance race. But he's like it's like what we were talking about before, like, you know, the aggressive clutch in and yeah. you know, all that stuff. So that was a little bit kind of stretched Hollywoodized
1: oh for sure I mean there's always some part. there's always parts like that
0: yeah but then there's like that one point where the track is super wet and he's like breaking at the very last second and like there's no lockups or anything I'm like that's not on a wet track too that's not necessarily how it would go
1: well would there be lockups there wouldn't be any ABS or anything like that or any kind of sensors it would just be
0: well that's what I'm saying is there's no ABS back that's then true. anyway so just like a modern to... Formula One yeah. car it's you know there would be lockups in that that's case true. so
1: that is a very good point
0: Similar similar. the one thing though, is definitely go and watch it because what they did really well. Christian Bale was fantastic, by the way. He always is. I mean, turning into a fucking Hollywood review show. (laughs) It's the thing I hated the most. (laughs) Um, I was a little bit curious though about Matt Damon because like Matt Damon did so good playing Jason Bourne that I only see him as Jason Bourne.
1: Yeah. But he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I've heard apparently he apparently really liked the role. So,
0: yeah, so it was good. Last thing I will say about the movie. One thing that they did really well is whoever wrote the script or they brought in somebody that was really knowledgeable about racing because Christian Bale, who plays Ken Miles, anytime he's talking about race specifics in terms of the car, it's very detailed, and it's, you know it's written by somebody that understands racing. <laughs> talking about understeer, oversteer, you know, setting up the car and stuff. like It's not written by somebody that has yeah. no idea what they're talking about. We're so. in a
1: drift! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Pull a handbrake. So no. I appreciated that because... They could have gone really south with it, but they did a good job in keeping
1: that okay, accurate. That's good. That's good. I mean, they're starting. Although a lot of the racing movies they've been putting out lately have been fairly accurate. I mean, you mentioned Rush earlier on, so that's one of the you know the one in the last few years that's been accurate in terms of racing. I can't think of another one movie, off the top of my head. But, one
0: of the worst ones was Sylvester Stallone. I think it was called Driven. I mean, I mean, if you want a good laugh, go and watch it. But. The
1: unrealness is that he would never fit in a fucking race car. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's what, you want to talk about not understanding Gasly's radio, there's another one. <laughs> so, yeah. But go see that movie. It was a good one. Uh, enjoyed that one. But that does it for our movie reviews. <laughs> that does it for our race reviews. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for watching us. Leave us a like. If you're new to the channel, give us a subscribe. Uh, we're moving up to, to the end of the season here. So best to give as much subscriptions as we can. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, for Abu Dhabi in about a week's time. Thanks then.